This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by MintSim, the best way to get cheap 4G LTE data in the U.S. Use offer code ACFREESHIP for free first-class shipping on any MintSim purchase. Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast for Friday, October 27th, 2017. My name is Daniel Vader and it's a very special compressed, you know, uh, all focus on one thing episode today. We're going to we're going to talk all about the Pixel 2 XL and the Pixel line in general and everything coming out of uh, the controversy surrounding the phone screen. And we have a very special guest to introduce you to. But first, I want to welcome back Russell Hawley. How are you, dude? I'm so tired. I am so there with you. Um, and I'm sure, I'm my, sure my we'll get to why. My day has been really hard, Daniel. Uh, Stranger Things Season 2 came out today. And uh, Super Mario Odyssey came out today. Uh, and I tried really hard to do both at once. Uh, but, but it was too much for me. At least you didn't have a phone to buy. I, I also had a phone to buy. A little Christmas. A little mini nerd Christmas. Yeah. Uh, that other voice you hear is Alex Doby. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's been it's been a busy week for me as well. I feel like we've been we've been quite video heavy this week, especially with everything that's been going on with the Pixel. So it's yeah, it's been uh, pretty full on. Well, to help us talk about that Pixel and and all that entails is uh, a very special guest, a a blogger at techspecs.blog and a general industry analyst slash phone person extraordinaire, Dan Mate. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Uh Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about you. Um, you have sort of chimed in from time to time on these uh, Pixel 2 screen issues. But long before that, you were sort of giving really smart commentary on what's happening in the mobile industry in general. You sort of foretold the existence of the Pixel Visual Core before it was the Pixel Visual Core. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and, and how you kind of got to where you are. Huh. Yeah, sure. Um, basically, I was uh, an industry analyst for four years. Uh, so going to a lot of the same events and briefings as you guys, uh, working with various companies, um, reporting on you know smartphone shipment estimates, uh, doing analysis of products, working with companies in, in various areas. And, uh, and now I'm doing my own thing. Uh, so I've been blogging this year. And... Um, yeah, just trying to write about a variety of topics um, across consumer tech. I, I guess displays are a big focus for me. Uh, so I guess naturally the the Pixel 2 fiasco with the display has been a thing. And you've been asked to, to comment a, a bunch of times on it, including for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you guys have done a great job of being very calm and careful and you know not the least bit sensationalist about any of this stuff. Uh, and I think you guys have done a really good job explaining, like, especially like the hardware stuff, especially Alex, I know in your review and your video, um, you've run through a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of different aspects of the story uh, for the 2XL, where there's the color, the calibration, the hardware itself, kind of the behind the scenes and supply chain, the factory level calibration stuff. Um, and basically all these various issues 
you know, there's like eight or 10 different things and they all got kind of, there's, you know, people just trying to figure out what's going on. So they all kind of get mixed in together and hopefully can try to go through some of that to the extent that we know. Um, let's, so let, let's start there. So Alex, you were one of the first people to report this burn-in problem with the screen, but that wasn't the problem. That wasn't the the only issue with this Pixel 2 XL screen. And um, for some people, it wasn't a problem. Russell wrote a very eloquent piece about how, you know, before this burn-in issue even began, there there wasn't much to worry about. This was just a bad, not, you know, not a great panel, but there was nothing to worry about. But then you found this burn-in uh, on your on your Pixel 2 XL. Tell us what, what you saw and, and what happened next. Yeah, so you kind of touched, I mean, we went over this in the last podcast when, the you know, before the whole burn-in thing kind of um, came into prominence. Back then, it was all about the, the color collaboration, the saturation, um, the blue shift when you're tilting it from side to side, and the crushing of shadow details when you view it at lower brightness levels. Um, like I said, I mean, my prediction was that, okay, there'd be a patch that up the saturation and then everyone would just forget about it. That, um, you know, didn't really happen. And actually, yeah, this uh, it's been surprising to see the way this has developed over the past week or so. Um, you know, the, the tweet, which I think first brought a lot of this into prominence, uh, was basically me saying, hey, isn't this weird, this thing that I found on my phone? Um, and it was... You know, I was. I think the first thing that triggered it off was I was looking at a full screen. You know, some some image on Twitter. I can't remember which which image it was. But when you view an image full screen on Twitter, it gets rid. Of, it goes into immersive mode. It gets rid of the bar at the top and the bar at the bottom. Um, and the first thing I noticed, uh, you know, I guess viewing it in a relatively dim room, uh, you know, at a, a you know, middling brightness level on last Sunday morning was that, hey, look, the bottom of the screen has this crazy burn-in that you wouldn't really expect to see in a phone that is not yet two weeks old. Uh, and then from there, uh, pretty much, you know, everyone who had a review unit was seeing this issue to some degree or other, whether it was, you know, largely burn-in or whether it was largely image persistence, and we'll get into that distinction later on. But pretty much everyone who had an early unit of this phone was seeing some kind of weirdness around the bottom of the screen when they were viewing a solid dark color in a dark room. Um, again, this is an OLED thing. Um, every OLED panel will succumb to this eventually. But the weird thing uh, from my perspective was, hey, look, I have a phone that's less than two weeks old, shouldn't be doing this yet. And it kind of progressed from there. So, Russell, long before Alex discovered the, the burn-in, uh, people were noticing that the Pixel 2 XL screen had a you know, there was a large resemblance in characteristics to the v30 and as we know they share if not the identical panel then a very similar one um and the v30 was criticized for its screen some people said that it was a, a game changer and and a, a deal breaker but others you know like like me like you even alex in his review wrote that it really was a, a matter of taste um, when you first got that Pixel 2, uh, you saw it at the briefing and then later on when you got your review unit, was that something you really like you noticed immediately or, or was it just like a, oh, it's just part of the phone? Well, it was it was one of those things that was uh, it was weird for me. I had that week, uh, you know, been jumping back and forth from a bunch of different phones uh, for a couple of other projects that I was working on. And so I had come from. 
uh, I went from from a Note 8 to an iPhone 8, which already kind of felt like a, a step, you know, from from kind of this oversaturated pop of colors to something that was a little more uh, a little more flat and clean uh, to to this phone, which was also kind of uh, you know not you know, overly saturated and, and the colors weren't particularly bright. So it really didn't bother me initially because I, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't staring at a display that was already overly saturated, so it didn't take a lot for for me to adjust. I I could recognize that it was not the same, uh, but it but it didn't occur to me, you know, at the time to really dig in and see what was going on. Um, I'm also not, you know, unless I'm reviewing a phone, I, I'm not the type of user to to do stuff in minimum brightness. Like even when my even in a completely dark room. I usually do not have my screen brightness all the way down. So a lot of the stuff that people were complaining about initially, I just didn't notice. And I wasn't in a position to notice uh, just from my personal use. Uh, so no, it, it wasn't something uh, that, that I felt like, you know, bothered me. But as soon as I noticed uh, other people complaining about it, uh, you know, or, or, you know, pointing out that it was a problem, Alex and Andrew both were pretty quick to say, look, this is, you know, this is something clearly different. Uh, then, then, you know, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me. So I, I just started walking up to people, you know, friends and family and, and otherwise, and, uh, and handing them different phones and asking them what they saw to, to make sure that it wasn't just me. And that is not a very scientific way to accomplish anything. Um, but it, but it was indicative, uh, you know, of, of whether it was something that these people even noticed. And, and a lot of the folks that I, I handed this phone to, uh, you know, they would stare at these two screens and really just not notice any difference between the two of them. Okay. So there's two phones, the Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL. Dan, uh, on your blog, techspecs.blog, there's, in, this, in the second paragraph, you say this. To be completely clear, the 2XL's panel is really bad, but we've effectively known this was going to be the case for months because of the LG V30. Um, and then you say there's a, there's a confluence of factors here that make this a problem. Um, one... The panel itself is just not great quality. Uh, it's just not a great OLED display. But on the other hand, it is calibrated uh, poorly and that there are, there's a huge deviation or there's a huge spread between the panels themselves. So some someone may have a worse panel than, than somebody else with the same phone. Can you touch on that a little bit and, and walk us through the, the most like immediate issues that you see with this Pixel 2 Excel panel? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a bunch of, I guess, different things to understand. Um, and, and I want to caveat everything by saying, you know, to, to really understand the panel characteristics, you need to test professionally and use, you know, thousands of dollars, of, uh, you know, an expensive light meter and the, all the expensive um, calibration software that goes along with it to really know exactly um, how the panel stack up. Uh, so you don't want to just trust your eyes. Um, you can't quite eyeball how accurate they are. You can look at like the relative differences between panels, uh, but you want to be careful. Uh, that said, uh, I went and looked at the Pixel 2s at a store, and it's pretty clear um, the the 2XL is uh, it's it's cold in terms of color temperature. Um, it's clearly overshooting on green undershooting on red and blue. Um, meanwhile, the 5-inch Pixel 2 uh, looked pretty fine. Uh, I was just comparing against an iPhone 7, and they both seemed pretty hard to distinguish. Um, I don't think it's 
perfectly calibrated, but it's pretty close. It, it looks pretty good um, without having you know real objective measurements. Um, and actually, the, that panel is, I'm almost certain, is the same panel as in the original Pixel, except this year they've been able to actually calibrate it way better. Um, so if anyone has you know concerns about the XL, I mean, the, the regular Pixel 2 seems fine um, in terms of color accuracy. And I don't have, you know, I don't think anyone should be worried about having any caveats for that display. So um, when, when you say calibrated, uh, what what exactly does that mean? Because we're hearing a lot of things about sRGB and DCI P3 and how a panel is sort of aiming at that color spectrum. For people who don't know, what does that mean? Sure. Uh, basically, color is just a massive topic. Uh, it uh, even people who are like color scientists and do this for a living get confused sometimes. So there's just kind of a lot to pick apart. But I guess try to walk through some of the different areas. Um, you know, when you get a panel from LG Display, Samsung Display, Sharp, whoever, um, they all come with variation. They don't come exactly as per specification and there's different testing and calibration that needs to be done at the factory uh, to actually ensure more uh, accurate and consistent uh, final units. And over the years, uh, you know, we'd start off with displays in mobile that were not calibrated at all. Uh, Then they started doing uh, a little bit more, a little bit better calibration for the whole line where they take like an individual panel and pick average values and try to calibrate just for that one panel, except across the entire line. So Dan, this is a bit of a sideshow, but something I want to ask you about. Um, sure. Google swapped out a lot of the original Pixel XL, Pixel 2 XL review units this week um, uh-huh. with uh, you know new units. And it's something I've seen on my u- new unit and something that's been reported from people who've received second units as well. The new ones seem to have a slightly warmer color temperature than the old. And first, my, my reading on this was just, okay, it's just the variance that you get between, you know, any two panels coming off the same line. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree with that? Or is, the, is there anything else to read into that, do you think? Um, I really don't know. Um, it's possible they might have done some adjustments. But I, I think the basic issue is that the Samsung display panel on the 5-inch is at least batch calibrated. So that that's the next step is you you sample you know, like 5% of your displays in a given batch and you calibrate to that average and you, you're not testing every single one, but you're calibrating on a better, uh, more granular level. The, the ultimate step would be individual calibration, which is what Apple's been doing for all of its wide color displays. And, and that's actually something you, you really need to do for a wide color display. And I can try to get back to that later. But so it's possible for your unit and for other reviewers, the update units, they might have done a little bit of shifting. But at the end of the day, I don't think... The, the main problem is I don't think that there's the equipment and workflow at the factory for LG Display to actually uh, do these calibrations at either a batch or individual level. Whereas with Samsung Display, I think that equipment is there. And what uh, the Android team did since last year the the original Pixel uh, last year was not calibrated well at all. It, was, it just missed pretty badly for sRGB and native gamut. 
So what they did is they added software to Android to make it so that they can actually do this calibration at the factory. Uh, in the same way that Samsung and Qualcomm and all these other vendors have been doing uh, across the industry for years. Um, so it's it's honestly a bit of catch-up for Google, but that's the reason why now the the, the, the 5-inch Pixel 2 uh, is calibrated well. Um, but the XL, given that it, they're working with LG Display, I don't know what happened there. I don't know why what kind of constraints there would be. It's possible Google just decided not to pay the money to procure the equipment to do this or write the software or maybe there was some other issues maybe the production line was just very rushed and it was it was there were some sort of constraints where they couldn't do this um it's hard to say but either way it looks bad so so i've heard that lg has had trouble with its oled manufacturing uh you mentioned that in your in your piece that lg display which we have to say is not the same company as LG Electronics, just like Samsung Display right. and Samsung Chem are not the same as Samsung Electronics. Uh, and that's why Samsung Display is making the panel for the iPhone 10 and, uh, and, and the Pixel 2 and all the other, all these other phones. Uh, Samsung Display also supplies Samsung Electronics with the displays for its own phones. Um, but LG has struggled in the past to make OLED it had phones in 2014, 2015 with OLED. They were pretty terrible. And we heard all of this news this year around Google investing in LG Display so that it would be able to ship Pixel 2 with great quality OLED panels. And when we saw the V30, everything kind of went to hell, uh, you know? <laughs> so what happened um, why can't LG match Samsung? Is it just the fact that they haven't been doing this for as long, or is it something else that we're not seeing? So what you said is exactly right. Uh, you know, LG Display is different than LG Electronics, etc. And and really, Samsung Display has been the company that's invested headfirst in OLED for for many years now, uh, going back to the Nexus One. Um, a lot those first few years of AMOLED panels were, they had major issues. They had pretty bad burn-in. They were really inaccurate. They had, all display tech was was rough in the past, but OLED especially just has a ton of challenges. It's, and not just for LG display, but for any company, it's just a very messy process. You're, you're layering these organic uh, materials and trying to ensure consistency and uniform characteristics and you inevitably have very low yields. Uh, so it's just really hard to overcome all the various challenges of OLED. Um, but, you know, Samsung Display kept at it. And over the past few years, uh, the, the GS5 was a lot better. And the, the GS6, by that point, they really got pretty good quality out of their OLED. Um, and in the past couple of years, it's, it's been better than uh, LCDs from competitors um, in mobile. Do you put any um, any sort of weight behind this Reddit post that's been doing the rounds in the past week or so, saying that um, actually the the panel that was supposed to be in the two XL uh, actually was was basically downgraded because the production line that was supposed to create it wasn't ready in time, and so it moved to a different line um, that had an inferior panel. Um, have you read that post? Do you do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I did see that. Uh, it it sounded very plausible. Um, I guess it's 
partly based on rumors coming out of the Korean press. Um, it, it sounds very plausible. I guess he was trying to say that there was a new line that was supposed to come up and it just got delayed and it ended up not being available in time. So for both LG and Google, they had to resort to using the older line. Um, and we know that from the G Flex, G Flex 2, those panels had all sorts of issues. And this kind of feels like it's from that era. Um, so I have no idea, uh, but it, it certainly sounds plausible. So let's, um, you know, let's go through some of the the actual characteristics of this display. So there's there's three main issues that I see, right? There's there's the the poor uniformity in the backlight. And, and, and when we say backlight, it's different to an LCD backlight where there are actual, um, you know, there's an actual light push. Uh, I mean, there isn't really a backlight at all, right? The, it's more just the OLED brightness panel. of the individual LEDs, yeah. Exactly. So um, when we say backlight on an OLED panel, we're just talking about inconsistent uh, brightness from the individual pixels. Mm. That's actually interesting because, um, yeah, you, you talk about the inconsistent lighting, um, and that's what gives you a grain effect to a certain extent. The other is a bit of um, image retention, which happens as you scroll. Sometimes that gives you grain effect as well. Um, but what I've seen in the, uh, the the 2XL that I've been using, the newer one, is actually there's, I mean, you, you could very well say this is because it's a new unit. It's it's not two weeks old. This is brand new. I'm on day two of using this right now. Um, but there's noticeably less grain on this compared to the first unit I was using. And I'm wondering if, you know, perhaps something to extrapolate from that is, okay, maybe with the first round of review units, they used some, you know, like B or C grade panels, whereas now they're making, you know, they're either all the retail units are getting like the A-grade ones or they're making sure reviewers now get the A-grade ones. So it's, uh, you know, people have a better impression of this. Um, so, yeah. it It's possible they're they're doing better QA and just accepting lower yield. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of impossible to say unless we see, you know, it, regular consumers see in the market like way better displays on average or something like that but and actually and this is gonna be something that uh you know either proves or disproves all of this stuff going forward especially when it comes to burn-in um you know we'll we'll know how bad this is and google has its own statement on on that they basically stood behind their product and said that it doesn't have any issue you know relative to other premium oled phones but i mean we'll know in like a month's time when uh millions you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of consumers have these phones in their hands and have maybe a month or two of potential burn-in uh, in these units, right? Yeah, I think if you're a consumer interested in the device, you essentially just can't bank on anything happening. Uh, it looks bad for Google either way. You have these early units that went to not just reviewers, but consumers that were almost uniformly not good. Uh, so you can try to you know keep returning devices and RMA a bunch of times and hope that it gets better, but... Uh, you know, every vendor for any product that comes to the market, the reality is everything's always on fire behind the scenes. Everything's always going wrong. They're, you're always fixing all sorts of issues in your supply chain and, and various things. And so, yeah, I'm sure they, they've been scrambling with LG Display to try to improve things to some extent. But is it going to make a huge difference? Is it going to make any kind of noticeable difference? Are they going to? Con- are you still going to be buying these older panels for quite a while? There's nothing a consumer can, you know, assume is going to improve. Um, it's also possible, you know, theoretically, it would take several months, I guess, 
that they could have like a backup LCD that they switch to, uh, which is arguably what they maybe should have done in the first place is have that contingency plan. Okay, I mean, if, that, that if, would be such a, a damning indictment of this phone, though, wouldn't it? I mean, this that yeah. would be a PR nightmare for them to do that. There would be no, um, there, there would be no recovery from that. It also runs entirely counter to everything that they've ever said about why AMOLED panels are necessary for VR. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I think, I, uh, so I mean, the whole OLED and VR thing—that's not going to be the case forever, right? We we know that people sure. are working on that. Um, but yeah, your your point is well taken. I don't know if you, you guys remember from years ago the uh, the Nexus S and I think uh, some of the other HTC phones. Uh, was, oh, it was the Nexus One and some other HTC phones where they swapped from was the MLI Desire to the Super Desire. LCD. HTC Desire because um, we got two two different versions. One was AMOLED, one, one was LCD over here in Europe. Yeah, right. And I think that was supply constraints at the time. There just wasn't enough OLED to go around. Mm-hmm. But you know, these sort of things can happen. Um, but yeah, I, either way, there's there's no good options for Google at, at the end of the day. And, you know, the majority of the damage is done in terms of, you know, credibility and consumer, you know, uh, perception, I guess. And we already see Samsung cashing in on this this week with uh, that YouTube uh, ad that they put up with uh, <laughs> YouTube reviewer reaction to uh, the S8 and Note 8 displays. That was a very subtle troll that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I remember when the Nexus S came out and it wasn't that much different to the Nexus one. I mean, yes, it was plastic and it had a slightly faster processor, but the main uh, the main positive note compared to the Nexus one was that it was using a Samsung panel that was considerably higher quality. Uh, it wasn't higher resolution. It was just a much better panel. And I remember using both of them side by side and just thinking, oh, so this is how a smartphone screen should look. Um, you know, I remember back with the first Droid uh, up here, it was the, the Milestone. It had a fantastic panel. It was super sharp. It was 854 by 480 pixels. And it was great. And compared that to the Nexus One, which had a really comparatively poor uh, pentile display and and Dan, I would love to talk to you about pentile because that's been a, a word that we've thrown around for years and it's not really brought up anymore, but it has this legacy of a negative connotation. Um, and it, it feels a little bit like we're back in a pentile era where we have good and bad OLED displays that have very clear characteristics that separate them. Um, and and I'd love to get your opinion on on whether that's the case or is this actually just a, a situation where Samsung's displays are so much better and Apple's displays are so well calibrated that anything slightly below that level of quality is going to be construed as bad. Yeah, again, I think going back to regular consumers, they're not going to notice 90% of these issues unless it's something severe and jarringly obvious like really bad burn-in within you know a week like in Alex's first unit. So... I mean, do consumers notice even 1080p sometimes? I mean, it's all relative. So, I mean, among like tech enthusiasts like us, like, yes, we care. We want a good display. You're paying $850 for a device. So you want to get your money's worth. Um, but that said, uh, regarding Pentile, I mean, even Apple is now using Pentile in the iPhone X. Um, they've evolved that 
uh, subpixel layout. So now it's diamond pen tile, which is a little bit better. It's more dense or it's higher density, which helps, but it doesn't really solve the fundamental issues. Uh, but basically, your your red blue resolution uh, is lower. So for text, especially, you have chromatic aliasing. Uh, you can even see this on like an Apple Watch, for example, where if you look at text, there's uh, colors you can see along the edges of text, for example. Um, there's different layouts you can do. We used to have S Stripe from Samsung uh, in, in the Note 2 and some other devices. I remember that. Oh more my like goodness. RGB Stripe. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I remember that. That was that that was like you know uh, hugely kind of controversial. I remember everything Samsung did in the in the display space for a time was enormously controversial. Um, remember Super AMOLED Plus back in the day, the Galaxy S two. That that was the S stripe. Um, oh, oh was it? Okay. That. okay. And we settled on Pentile. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but. Um, explain a little bit about what what that is uh exactly so it's different sizes of of the colors if i'm not mistaken yeah you're basically using more green subpixels uh compared to red and blue so as opposed to traditional rgb where you have one of red green and blue you have this worse ratio and so they have to in software to use subpixel rendering to kind of account for that and to make it look better uh, it, it's fine. It's acceptable. The The fundamental thing is making OLED is extremely hard and making it with more of a uh, vertically symmetrical, um, straight-edged um, S-stripe pattern, like a closer to traditional RGB, is just much more difficult. So the yields are much lower. And it's doable uh, for lower panel sizes. But as you increase the density, it gets harder and harder. So... Like I can tell you, Apple did not want to have to do Pentile for the iPhone X, but that that's the best that Samsung Display can do, and that's why Samsung in it in its Galaxy S and Note phones has had Pentile and Diamond Pentile in recent years. Um, it's possible that could improve in the future, but um, for any any decent sized panel that's high density, it's just extremely hard. Um, the, the economics of the yields are not feasible right now. Russell, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your experience in, in VR. Um, you know, there's a clear difference between mobile VR, where you put a phone in front of lenses and and uh, the density makes a very big difference, and something like Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, where those are, you know, those are screens that you're looking at. Um, obviously, the early Oculus Rifts, I believe, were actually using Samsung displays in them, but I I think now they're custom. Oh, they still are. Oh, they still are. Okay, they're they're, they're custom, but they're made by uh, Samsung still. Whereas the the original developer kit was literally a Note Four uh, inside the uh, like the Note Four panel, like with with the same the same buttons still on it. That's uh, amazing. Inside the the original dev kit for the Oculus Rift, like if you opened up the Rift, you could see that it was the back of a Note Four or the front of a Note Four. Uh, so for you, what would you take? Would you take a Pixel 2, which is lower density, smaller, but better calibrated slight, uh, or over a Pixel 2 XL, which has all these negative characteristics uh, when you're using mobile VR? Well, it's important to keep in mind two things. One, uh, the color calibration for when you're in VR is very, very different from the uh, color calibration from when you're out and about looking at uh, stuff. 
Um, they're they're not calibrated for for realism at all, and it actually is really interesting on both phones. If you uh, if you take a look at just like stare very intently at the panel when you activate Daydream, uh, when when it actually like forces the the UI sideways and and you go to look at it, you can see that color shift. It goes very very cold. Uh, you know, uh, compared to to what it was before, the you see a you know kind of a, a white flash, and then the the colors change pretty dramatically on both phones. Um, so the the color calibration for VR is not not at all the same, um, and and they are in fact much closer uh, to to being similar when when you're in that kind of VR mode. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that pixel density is way more important than color accuracy for these mobile phones because of what's called the screen door effect. Uh, you you have a 1080p display and you put it inside, basically holding it up to a, a pair of magnifying glasses. Uh, you see the gaps in between those pixels. It creates lines. It creates what basically looks like you're looking through a screen door. And that can be very distracting in a lot of different apps that are, just aren't built to you know compensate for that. Whereas a, a higher density uh, display, uh, you know, significantly removes that screen door effect and makes looking at something, even if it's less color accurate, you know, appear more sharper and more real to life. So in, in those cases, even if, you know, with this being uh, less accurate, if it were less accurate enough to bother me in the first place, I would still take pixel density over accuracy uh, to, to avoid that screen door effect. What about latency? How does that figure into it? And have, we, have you noticed anything there for the Pixel 2 versus the XL? No, there's not a huge difference. In, in there, there's not a noticeable difference unless you're like really actively looking for uh, a difference in most you know, phones for Daydream. Daydream is intentionally calibrated to a minimum set of uh, you know, specs. You can only you know, get your phone approved manually by Google in order to be a Daydream phone. So they all meet that minimum spec anyway. Uh, the the closest thing you're going to get to really actively noticing a difference is if you are in a game that has just a lot of really rapid head tracking and you'll notice some slight stutters on extreme head movements, um, which in a lot of daydream games is not a thing that exists anyway because of uh, comfort level. So it's it's really difficult to see a difference in refresh rate once you're you're dealing with uh, the the calibration set that Google has for all of their daydream phones. So I, I, you, you mentioned, you know, if, if this was a big deal for you, uh, and, and it, it, it isn't, you've, you've written about that and, and I want to touch on that, uh, after the break, but I, I, I just want to, um, you know, I, I want to mention that, you know, th- this phone is, is being judged for its display largely against its price. And I just want to have that thought in the back of your mind, because, if this wasn't more expensive than the Pixel XL, if it was seven forty nine, I don't think this would have been criticized as much. If it was much cheaper, if it was six forty nine, so think about that. But I, I, I want to take a break. I want to thank our first sponsor, and that's Thrifter. And we've spoken about Thrifter before. Um, every week, we've been talking about some of the great deals that we have found on this site. Uh, and, and if you want your, if you want great deals in your inbox every morning. You can go to Thrifter and you can sign up for its daily newsletter. So we're going to do our normal thing. We're going to go around and we're going to pick a, a deal that we all like. And because Dan is new and, and we like to haze our our first guests with um, huh. with having them go first on, on this the Thrifter roundtable, we'll, we'll let you go. Uh, w- what's catching your eye when you go to thrifter.com today? 
there's actually, uh, I think, a really awesome looking uh, Legend of Zelda Deluxe Encyclopedia. Uh, it looks and so good. Yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> it, it, for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it basically looks like the original NES gold cartridge. And it even comes in like the black sleeve that looks like the original NES sleeves. Uh, and it's just all that the traditional Zelda gold. I uh, love this. It looks really, really high end and nice. Not only is this making me feel bad that I haven't finished Breath of the Wild yet, but um, it's also making me feel bad that I haven't ever played any of those early Zelda games. <sighs> Russell, I'm Daniel. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, this like looks amazing. And it's, free it's, time anyway, so. it's like 50 bucks, $47.99, which is, I think, a pretty good deal for this. Um, Russell, what, what's catching your eye? So Thrifter actually has this pretty cool collection of uh, Stranger Things swag, basically, that uh, they got from all over the place. And a bunch of this stuff is is on sale to you know go along with the launch of season two, which started uh, today. And I'm not watching right now because I'm talking with you guys instead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but uh, it's, it's really neat. You've got this uh, collection of keychains and a set of necklaces that look like the, uh, the string lights from mm. the, the first uh, movie and... Uh, you know, obviously the Funko Pop uh, figurines that have taken over the entire planet, um, but uh, also a really neat, ugly Christmas sweater uh, that says Merry Christmas from the Upside Down that I'm pretty sure I'm about to buy. Uh, yeah. Also, I love that you said first movie because Stranger Things is being marketed as a movie. Every season is a single movie. I love that. Yeah. Eight, eight hours for the first season, nine, nine hours for the second um and the book of barb <laughs> if we're going with the book theme <laughs> pick up a book of barb for 15 bucks r.i.p barb um alex what's what's, Whoa, what's spoilers spoiler alert um i think i think we can <laughs> i think we can also <laughs> that agree that that's okay you, you're in trouble <laughs> i'm sorry um yeah so uh, i was spotted an lg uh ultra wide 34 inch monitor for 260 uh us dollars um, nine ten percent sRGB. Um, I'm not sure if Matt can tell us anything. Uh, so if, if Dan can tell us anything more about um, the the color accuracy of this, but uh, for someone who is in in the market for a new monitor, uh, this is very tempting right now. And um, yeah, this amount of money for twenty five sixty by ten eighty twenty one by nine um, display is is very very tempting for me. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say that uh, I just picked up a 38 inch Dell ultra ultra wide. Um, and it's, it's insane. It's the best monitor I've ever seen in my life. Once you go ultra wide, man, it's it's, really tough to go back. (laughs) There's just no going back. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna make a recommendation, but rather I'm going to, um, just highlight a really interesting piece that, uh, JD Levite did on Amazon key. So this is this new super in-depth service that Amazon's launching in 37 cities around the U.S. in the next couple of weeks. It allows couriers to actually open your door to using a smart lock and have you monitor it using an Amazon camera. And there's all of these privacy and security implications that go along with it. And this is a really detailed overview of what you get with key, whether it's a good idea, whether it's a security risk, all of the things that you've probably thought about with Amazon key, if you have considered it in the past couple of weeks, go to thrifter.com and check it out. It's really, really interesting. 
I'm very curious to see if people are going to buy into this. I would love to. Can actually- you just imagine what would happen if you guys were not home, if you and your wife were not home, but Zadie was home and not in a crate, and someone from Amazon opened the door to deliver something inside your front door? Because Zadie's a sweetheart, but she's a big girl. <laughs> she's uh, not great with doorbells or doors in general. So that's the other thing too. Is you know, I'm there are so many varieties of houses and 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 you know, front door setups and all these things, things are going to go wrong real fast with this, but it's ambitious. It's, it's, it's something only Amazon can do. So I think they should have uh, waited until they could uh, attach this to their drone fleet. Right. Like we won't, we won't have human beings deliver things inside your house. We're going to have the drones do it. Yeah. Dogs are going to way prefer down the drones. chimney, right? It's, it's yeah, that's, that's fast exactly fast. what it's going to yeah. be. All right. Well, thank you, Thrifter, for sponsoring this, uh, for sponsoring our podcast every week. And if you're interested in learning more, check out thrifter.com. All right. So let's let's go back to this, Russell. I, I wanted to touch on that last thing that I talked about before the break. This is not something, and, and Dan mentioned a little bit, this is not really something that people are going to notice. Like when your kids are using phones, they're not scrutinizing the display. Um, is this just being blown way out of proportion? I mean, yes and no. Uh, on, on the one hand, there are some very valid arguments to be made for the importance of a display on a phone. Obviously, it is the thing you interact with most on your phone all day, every day. You know, if the display is not on and functioning, then your phone doesn't do very much. So so it is perfectly understandable to be critical of a display and to to, as a consumer, want the highest quality display that you can spend money on. Uh, I, I will you know, caveat that with, uh, you know, there are phones, uh, including two that have been brought up in, in this, uh, you know, in, in this podcast, the, the iPhone, uh, X and, and the note eight that are, you know, much better displays. They're also a hundred dollars more. So, you know, I, I look at this, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the price and $850 for a phone is no doubt a lot of money to spend on a phone. Uh, so, so for me, the, the only thing that I have to, to, you know, counter that with is knowing that it's a hundred dollars less and knowing that there are other parts of this phone that are really, really good. And in many ways, in, at least as far as I'm concerned, the best versions of these things that exist on a phone right now, you know, the, the battery life on this thing is exceptional. The camera is just ridiculous, both on the front and the back. The front-facing speakers I'm actually a pretty big fan of, and I I haven't actually enjoyed a phone with front-facing speakers for quite a while. And, you know, that those are all things that factor in for me. It's not just the display when I'm thinking about the the, the price of a phone. You know, I'm, I'm also paying for the stuff that Google's doing with AI, not just now, but in the future when we start doing things with Visual Core and uh, AR stickers and, and things like that. And so, you know, what this really comes down to for me is if, if the display is the most important thing to you and you still want these pixel features absolutely go for a pixel too. the the xl you know for people who prefer larger screens or a larger battery uh you know it really feels like you're not actually sacrificing a whole lot uh to to get this and and if price is really your your argument and factor there for for a large phone you look at the other prices of the large phones you're still not this is not the most expensive phone i guess is what i'm saying Alex, what, what do you what do you say to that? Um, I, I would basically agree with everything Russell just said. Um, yeah, I mean the the screen is the primary input and output device in in a phone. 
uh, these days. And yeah, it's important that that looks nice and that there aren't issues with it. Um, but at the same time, there are other, yeah, there are inevitably hardware trade-offs with any phone, you know, especially at the high end. So um, let, let, let's kind of take the burn-in aspect because we don't really know how that's going to play out in the long term just yet. Oh yeah, and all of uh, everything that is prefaced else with the burn-in part is one hundred percent unacceptable. Like that is that my, sure, sure. everything that I said there was totally aside from that. Sure, and yeah, like I, I agree with everything that you said because of that. I mean. Um, the biggest issue I think most people will have, and that's why I think last week I predicted that Google would up the saturation, there'd be a software update, and then everyone would forget about it. Uh, I still think that's probably going to happen. And um, yeah, that's basically going to be it. Uh, there are trade-offs with every single phone. Um, there are you know decisions being made behind the scenes, and there are uh, you know monetary constraints, and there are supply chain issues uh, like we've already touched on. Um, but... Yeah, I th- I don't know. I mean, the, uh, you know, of course, 850 to 950 is a lot of money to pay for a phone. You expect the primary thing that you're looking at all the time to be basically perfect for that amount, that amount of money. But there is also an awful lot that you do get uh, in the Pixel 2 XL for that money. Um, and I think it does eventually uh, just come down to a matter of personal choice. And that's what I said in my review. Go into a store, look at this display. If you can live with its quirks, Everything else that you get with it is great, is definitely worth the money. Um, but I think that's just a choice that every individual consumer is going to have to make when it comes to this phone. And maybe hold off uh, that, you know, making that choice until you see what it's going to look like with these additional display tweaks, which we know are probably coming within, you know, the next week, week and a half. Yeah. So, Dan, I, I, I want to go to that response that Google made yesterday. Um, Late last night, Google issued a pretty detailed response on its user community blog, going over the color management decisions that it made. Um, You know, it it forwent sRGB for the wider uh, P3 gamut. And um, that had some implications, not all these, like, there aren't that many phones that are uh, calibrated to P3. I think it's it's just this year's Samsung phones, the iPhone 7 and 8, the new iPad Pros, and the Pixels, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong uh, on some others. But you mentioned in your blog post that Android Oreo actually has some color calibration um, or color management features built in. Can you talk a little bit about those and, and how they work? Yeah, sure. So... The, the Google statement has a ton of information, so there's a, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, but, but just briefly going back to the burn-in issue, uh, I, I got to be honest, like, I don't think this is something Google can really solve. I think it's just something that's fairly inherent to that generation of OLED on that, on that production line for LG Display specifically. It, it, they might be able to improve things slightly. So, so what they have said is what they can do is they can fade out the nav bars um, as they do on Samsung phones which helps they can lower the overall uh, brightness ceiling by 50 nits. And that helps mitigate a little bit, but it, it doesn't fundamentally change the hardware. And they can be a little bit pickier in terms of yield and taking only the best displays or better, uh, a lower number of displays. But uh, I, to be honest, I'm fundamentally fairly pessimistic about how much the burn-in can improve. Um, and that's really the that's that's the big deal for consumers. 
Uh, I, I could be wrong. It could be somehow they improved this magically uh, in a huge hurry, but I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, the thing that doesn't really give me hope is the fact that when they talk about uh, Burnin in, in the statement, um, the wording they use is extensive testing of the Pixel 2 XL display show that its decay characteristics are comparable to OLED panels used in other premium smartphones. And, and that's just not true. Uh, you know, maybe it's comparable to like the first couple of years of uh, Samsung Display OLED in the first, you know, early Galaxy S phones and whatnot. But, you know, when people are seeing burn-in after two days, there's just no way that's comparable to, you know, Samsung uh, recent flagship devices. So, yeah, there's always an element of luck and variation, but that's, that's really, that, that sounds like Intenigate, you're holding it wrong. Right. To, to to sort of play devil's advocate there, I, I mean, Google could say this, um, but then when people get devices in hand, surely they're going to just notice burn-in anyway a month down the line. Or is that what this software patch is supposed to mitigate? Is it like a, a one-two punch of, okay, on the one hand, deny there's a problem, on the other, issue a software update so the problem is less noticeable? It, it's a slight mitigation, but it doesn't make a massive difference. So like they say, they already do some of the pixel orbiting for like the clock pattern. And, you know, on Samsung on their devices, they they shift the home button, the virtual home button on the GS8. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that helps. But there's not a ton they can fundamentally do. Uh, auto hiding the nav bar is the biggest thing they can really do. And, and that'll help. But the whole panel is still susceptible. Um, so, and the other thing is like adding a new color profile to make it more saturated. That's just, I'm, there is the truth that color is subjective and people can prefer whatever they want. But I think what matters to consumers in terms of color accuracy is, you know, if you're especially looking at photos of skin tones, uh, there's very obvious green push on all the Pixel 2 XLs. So if you're looking at, you know, people's skin in your photos and it's like green, it reminds people of nausea and it looks like people are you know sick in your photos so you could get lucky um the the unit i saw in store was actually uh a lot less green than the ones i've been seeing online still fairly green but uh, you could get a unit that's not too bad in terms of the green the green push um but i think at the end of the day it's it's really the burn-in that's the main concern and so if, if they can somehow really mitigate that um then by all means but right now consumers have nothing to bank on so we'll see but so i mean what what's curious to me is that you, you say that it, it hues green um maybe hue is the wrong uh verb there because hue is a anyway um but it it, it, it goes just <laughs> a bit of uh english is weird nonsense um but you say that it looks green but it uh, people keep saying that it's very blue it's very cold how do you how do you um, reconcile those two statements? Yeah, so this is the um, familiarity of just color calibration. If you've ever used calibration software, you set the white point, uh, which is the, what the color temperature is referring to. So clearly, on all the Pixel Twos, XLs, uh, they're all uh, cold, and therefore they look bluish white. Uh, so that's why there's that blue white skew to all of them. But at the same time, I think the fundamental issue is that the OLED is self-emissive. So these are organic materials that are emitting light. 
and there's a red, blue, and green emitter. So I think what seems to be the case here is that the red and blue emitters are just bad, like fundamentally. So that's why they undershoot on red, they undershoot on blue, and overshoot on green. Um, so that's my best guess as to what's going on. So that's why I kind of think it's kind of fundamental to the panel. And they can be pickier about taking only the best panels. They can do some software mitigation. Uh, they clearly... The, cal- the, the extent of the calibration they did for the XL2 was, I think, uh, kind of more that global calibration where they take one panel, calibrate that, and then apply that to the whole line. So they deliberately, as they say in the statement, calibrated to uh, D67, um, 57, yeah, which I, is more blue. Alex, I, I, I love this because it, it says um, the, the display is calibrated to a D67 white point and refers to a color temperature of 6700 Kelvin, a D65 value or 6,500 Kelvin corresponds to the color of the average midday light in Northern Europe. So the pixel <laughs> display airs ever so slightly on the blue side, which people perceive as more fresh as opposed to real world. Uh, a yellow hue often indicates something has aged. Um, I, I love this. They're, they're trying to make you think that the panels that people really enjoy, the saturated panels from Samsung maybe, um, that are now a little bit more accurate and less blue than they used to be, are somehow, uh, you know, not the way that they should be. Maybe, and actually, it's funny that you mentioned that that it's tailored to a certain a certain you know light point in a certain region. Because I remember HTC of all companies uh, many many years ago talking about how they would actually calibrate to a different white point for different regions, and that Europe actually would prefer a bluer white point to the US or to Asia. So maybe there's something to that. So interesting. Um, Do you want to know why they wrote that? Yes. <laughs> so my best guess, I could be wrong. I think Romain Guy was the one who wrote a lot of this technical stuff. So for anyone not familiar, Romain is uh, the head of the graphics team for on the Android team. And he's given several talks on color and color management. Uh, you, can, you should really check out his talk on color management at Google I.O. from this year if you want to know about all the work that they did in Android Aria. Uh, so he's the one writing the software. And he's just very academic. And he's just like constantly talking about like, okay, so this white point refers to the black body radiation of this, et cetera. So these are truthful statements that are accurate that make it sound less bad. So it's like, we calibrated this panel to some extent, not saying individually or batch calibrated to this white point. And that's true. But that doesn't mean that any of them ended up being accurate overall. They, they tried to the extent they could. Uh, so what they're saying is it has this white color gamut, out of the box, the display defaults to sRGB plus 10. And that, I think, is like a marketing person that's kind of made this into a sentence that doesn't make any sense to me. But I think what they mean by that is that almost none of the Google apps so far uh, are support white color. They just haven't uh, and it put that flag in the manifest. Um, oh, good. And so once, <laughs> once they do that... They <laughs> Oops. Yeah, so when they say out of the box, it doesn't mean it's calibrated to sRGB. It, it means that like the launcher can only only has sRGB color. Eventually, they could add white color assets. So uh, the actual calibration, um, and this is the, the nuance to all of it, really, because they can't individually calibrate it, they have to calibrate to either sRGB or display P3. So they calibrate to display P3, which is close to the native gamut of the panel. 
and then sRGB is just going to be like pretty inaccurate. Um, I it, P3 itself might be very inaccurate, but th- they had to pick one or the other. Whereas on the the smaller phone, sRGB is going to be pretty accurate, and then P3 should be also fairly accurate. Um, so again, there's just that difference between what they're able to do for between the two devices, which is why it's so weird. So let's um, let's go through the 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 fixes that Google proposes. Uh, some of them, Alex, you've already seen in Android 8.1, the beta that was released mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, the main one, obviously, is the dimming of the of the navigation bar, um, and that's you know to try to to prevent burn in. Uh, over the long term, but there are some other things as, as Dan, you, you mentioned, they are lowering the max brightness by 50 nits and they are going to release a saturated mode for people who want some more vivid or, or, or more going to bursty color. Um, are these fixes quote fixes? Are they enough? Are they everything that Google could do short of recalling the phone or trying to, you know, get better panels. Um, and if, if they're not, then what else should Google be doing here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you have color management now, which means that you can swap any asset can render in a different color space and the, the OS just knows how to handle that now. So you can have an image that's in a watercolor gamut, like display P3 mixed in with other images that are sRGB in an app, and it'll all just work. Uh, so the phone comes with different color profiles for all these different color spaces. Uh, so again, all the Google apps, for the most part, only have sRGB assets right now. Uh, but the part when they're saying sRGB plus 10, that's the, the vivid color setting that comes checked by default in settings. Uh, and that just makes colors more inaccurate. And again, color is subjective. People like punchy colors sometimes, but... My counter to that is, you know, like on an iPhone, for example, does anybody ever complain about the colors being not punchy enough? Uh, They're just, you know, accurate. So if you want to look at photos of your friends or whatever, you you want it to look at the real world. So it is subjective, but I would recommend anybody turn off vivid colors. uh, And, you know, if you have a Samsung phone, put it in basic mode um, because you want to have um, not oversaturated colors. And the difference between sRGB and P3 is not actually P3 is more saturated. It's just a larger color gamut. So there's just more colors to choose from. But the accuracy is whether you over or undershoot on saturation. Oh, this is also annoying that we even have to talk <laughs> about this. Yep. Um, is it what, you know, like, this is going to detract a little bit from the very serious conversation we're having here, but I, I really have to ask. Like, how do you, how do you walk through like a mall or any store with a bunch of displays and not like just stare at them for a while and, and pick out the ones that are terrible? Like, <laughs> They're going to be do all you, terrible. <laughs> like, do you go walking somewhere and just like you see a display out like in public and it just genuinely bothers you? No, I mean, it's fine. I mean, personally, even like the Excel 2 that I saw the 2XL I saw in store, it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, it wasn't, it wouldn't be something I would, I would happily pay $150 for, but at the same time, it, it doesn't ruin the device. It, it's really the burn-in that, that should be, you know, the concern of normal consumers. When I, when I see 
dogs that are not perfect, I, I get very sad. I go up to the dog and I say, why are, no, I'm joking. Every dog is perfect. All dogs are good dogs. All dogs are Dan. good dogs. Of course They're they good are. They're dogs, Dan. They're all good dogs, Brent. Um, actually, there's a, I, I, I want to like shout out to dog rates for a second because that guy has like changed the way that people, <laughs> I'm going to say rate dogs, talk about <laughs> dogs on the internet. And it's like, I love, I love that he's made so much made so many good things possible for photos of dogs because i really until then cats really ruled the 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 meme world and i just think that dogs needed to have some like a champion and uh dog rates is that champion and i i really appreciate that i i do feel like though we need a kind of a counter to that in the, in the display world that maybe we could have like ins- instead of display mates we could have like display rates where <laughs> every, every every display no matter how oversaturated however blown out however burned in is a good display and it's 14 <laughs> out of 10 <laughs> it's i will true. not be that person <laughs> honestly like um poor touch response to me is way more annoying than poor color yeah um and, and like, I just, I remember, uh, oh, it was a, which phone was it? It was an LG, not the, yeah, the, the pre-production LG G6 that I had from, from, uh, back at IFA had really mm, poor touch uh, response. MWC. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Not IFA, um, my, MWC. Mine was, yeah. Mine, mine was okay. That's, that's weird. Yeah. And it was just like, it was one of those weird things where, uh, the production unit I got was fine and I haven't had any problems with the ones that I've tried since but i really notice it like if you're typing on a phone and you can't hit every key accurately that is infuriating to me um and now when i look at the excel screen i don't i mean yeah the the color shift is a little bit awkward and i i i I don't love it but it's not the end of the world and the fact is that the touch response on a pixel phone is so good and I don't think it's it has a rival anywhere in the Android space. Well, it's really the work they did in Android 7.1, which shipped first on the Pixel last year, but they they managed to kind of rewrite some things in the, in the touch pipeline to just really um, have a major improvement. Uh, so you've seen that as um, 7.1 run, uh, 7.1 rolled out to other devices. Um, I think like the Samsung phones, they started feeling. Uh, a lot better in terms of touch latency. Yeah, but only yeah, one. Yeah, that's actually something. That's actually something I noticed going from uh, the S8 series to the Note, and of course the S8 series is on a, a seven point zero. The Note is on seven point one, and that's something that you do really notice that. Yeah, I, I think that was also part of the change log with the OnePlus five, uh, or did the OnePlus five ship with seven point one? I forget. Or. Oh, I think it got question. updated to 7.1 and it had a fix. Yeah. There's also another issue in that phone, but they, they fixed that as well. So there's different things that can be tuned. So, so, so Dan, let's, let's like change topics for a second and talk about the OnePlus 5T for a sec, because now we know that it's sort of a thing. Uh, what are, what, what's your take on, on OnePlus as a, as a company and, and how it's approaching kind of undercutting everybody in the smartphone world? Well, uh, their relationship to the, the Chinese companies that they are related to uh, originally is, is interesting. Um, so they're kind of an interesting, they're still really a startup, I guess, uh, where 
They're, well, they have very well. well. <laughs> are they though? Are they? Uh, actually, yeah, I don't know. So there's, <laughs> I don't know how many employees. I mean, they this have. whole this whole contentious relationship with with Oppo and right. you know, if you ask them about it, it's always like, oh, they have the same investors, exactly. Um, but then people go digging and find links, and yeah, yep, yeah. So that's very interesting. So th- basically, they didn't just appear out of nowhere, and they, you know, they came from established. Uh, you know, Chinese uh, OEM uh, engineering uh, base or whatever you want to say. Um, but the, their business model is to make incredibly little margin or almost no margin and just shell, sell in huge volume uh, and hope you can become profitable that way. Um, so that's not too different than Xiaomi or some other Chinese vendors. Um, but, you know, I thought the OnePlus 3 uh, was a really good device. There were a few issues with it, but overall, it's pretty solid. Uh, there have been a various software issues they've had, I guess, mini scandals and whatnot, but they they roll out fixes for those things. The The bad thing was the OnePlus 5 where they installed the display upside down, which was a really bad, bad mistake, which is not able to be fixed. So you have the jelly effect, which was another controversial thing, which you'd see on Reddit for like two weeks. I forgot about that now. That's true. So, so is that like is that a legitimately bad thing to do, or is that just a case of as, as the line went at the time? Okay, you're just used to looking at, at displays that are the other way up, and there's actually nothing bad with the way we're installing display. Because I mean, I got to say, I could see the jelly effect if I really, really, really looked for it. But in day to day use of that phone, it didn't bother me particularly mm. at all. Yeah, it's another thing that's subjective, and for most people, it's not going to bother them. Uh, uh, it, it, they did basically screw up by installing display upside down and not they didn't do that right so I was hoping maybe they might be able to remap the uh, display controller software but the answer ended up being no so I would, <laughs> the, the new phone the 5T the rumored 5T they have the opportunity to not do that and I guess they'll have uh, LG display OLED uh, unless I'm completely wrong about what rumors I've seen I guess but, so uh, I think Pete Lau today was singing the praises of Samsung OLED. Mm, okay, well, so that would be a lot guess, better. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's going to be a it's basically a, a full HD panel just s- with a few more vertical pixels thanks to the eighteen. Yeah, right, same, same as the Huawei Mate. It, it may even be the same exact panel as the Huawei Mate Ten Pro, which has a, a fan, you know ten eighty p you know full HD plus, so um, ten eighty by twenty one sixty. Is um, it good? Yeah. Nice, yeah, it's good. It's a good panel. Looks, you know, looks as good, if not better, than uh, the Pixel Two XLs. Right. So what I heard is Huawei is using LG Display, but I, I don't know. I didn't actually uh, verify that. No, Huawei is not using LG Display. Okay. Well, that would be a lot uh, more comforting, I think. So um, I want to I want to finish up uh, talking a little bit about the the, the Pixel Book because Russell, you spent some time with it. Uh, with Jerry, uh, you you helped film the review, and and um, you've you've kind of spent a little time. Uh, Alex, have you seen the Pixel Book? I have yet to uh, interact with the Pixel Book in any way, shape, or form. So I'm I'm just going off Russell and Jerry's impressions here. All right. Well, before we get to that, I do want to just talk quickly about our our last sponsor, um, and and you may have seen it on Android Central, the front page. Um, you know, AndroidCentral.com is a website on the internet where you post content. Uh, and one of those pieces was uh, 
by a company called GameStash. And uh, this is a really interesting product because gaming on Android is, is it divide, it sort of falls into two areas. It's, um, it has a lot of really great free to play games and it really, a lot of them push in-app purchases really hard. And then there's the small contingent of loyal, um, you know, for uh, upfront cost games that many of them launch alongside their iOS counterparts, but a lot of them, like this week's Death Road to Canada, great game, launched a few months after its iOS counterpart. And those don't often sell that well because for some reason, Android just has a reputation of people not wanting to spend uh, upfront money on on premium games. GameStash is a subscription service. So it's five bucks a month. You can try it for free for two weeks. And you get hundreds of games. Many of them are a little bit older, but they're high quality games. A lot of them are premium games. Some of them have in-app purchases, but all of those in-app purchases have been reworked to uh, either give them all away for free. So if you earn something in the game that you would otherwise need to pay real money for, you just you just earn it, um, you know, by by grinding, um, and and you don't have to pay for it, or you can get earlier access. And other games are just you get like those premium games uh, as a part of your subscription. So things like Badland, Cut the Rope Two, Evo Land, King of Thieves, they are you know very high quality games that um, are just a little bit older, um, and you know, there's there's a lot of kind of a uh, benefit to this, especially for people who just want to, um, you know, you, you it's kind of like the Netflix of of Android gaming. You just want to spend a, a, a small amount of money every every month and play as many games as possible. So, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people are going to be really interested in. So, if you do want to try this, and and it's free to try, it's free for 14 days. Um, you go to gamestash.com slash acpod, and uh, you can start trying it now. Uh, about five to 10 games are added every month. So that way you can kind of look forward to it. It's a little bit like Netflix, a little bit of, uh, like uh, new music releases. And uh, this this month alone, or this week alone, rather, there were a couple of uh, really good games that uh, I'm trying to find right now because I actually meant to look this up earlier and i will find it if i can uh anyway oh here it is so there's raiden legacy there's double dragon trilogy there's r type so all these remakes of uh, old 80s and 90s games um those three games i've paid actual money for on the play store so they they're really good especially r type so yeah if you want to try this gamestash.com slash ac pod I will make this read better next week. I promise. <laughs> this is my first read for GameStash, but we really appreciate appreciate them sponsoring the the pod. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Pixelbook. Russell, what's what's your take on this? Um, Chromebook, thousand dollars. Jerry loves it, but Jerry loves Chrome. Uh, what's your immediate take on it? It's a really expensive Chromebook, uh, which is not a new thing for Google to do. But, uh, it, you know, it, you run into the exact same thing that you run into with, with every other Chromebook. It is not, uh, in my opinion, $700 better than a nice $300 Chromebook. Uh, you know, it, it, it does some really neat things uh, as far as the, the hardware goes. You know, the, the, it feels very nice. It feels lighter than if, uh, than, like, if you, you hand it to me and you say, hey, it weighs this much. I think it's like 2.4 pounds or something like that. And it, it genuinely doesn't feel like it. 
the the hinge is is very nice. The weight is very evenly distributed. You know, as as far as a laptop goes, this is a well made machine. They, they've they've done a lot of things here uh, really well. Uh, there there is some concern that I think everyone that has touched it shares. Uh, about the the palm rests on this keyboard, they're they're this kind of rubbery material, and they're 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 just stark flat white. Uh, they're they're this kind of matte white, and it just seems like everything in the entire world is aimed at staining that like pure uh, white <laughs> palm rest, so that in six months this thing will just look gross. Can confirm. And, yeah, it's it's just you know, but the the benefit of having the palm rest is that it it acts as a kind of skid pad when you have it set in uh, you know one of the other folded modes like any other uh, full hinge laptop. You can you know pop it up like a tent, or you can set it so that the screen is facing you, or you can close it like a tablet, uh, which you know has all of these particular uses. I, I like all of that stuff. Um, the one thing I haven't had to test, and I think you actually had some some thoughts on this based on your experience, is that apparently the speakers aren't very good. Yeah, they're atrocious. They're probably my my least favorite part of the the laptop. Uh, they're, they're well, I, I said that differently. I said that wrong. The, the the speakers are bad, except for one specific firing position, right? No, no. Jerry's being very generous. <laughs> they're just bad. They're they're thin. They're they're <laughs> soft. They're they're not uh, conducive to enjoying. That's that's my thing. Um, they're not conducive to enjoying content in in the way that google wants you to enjoy content in either this tent mode where you park it upside down and flip the hinge over or in in this sort of like backwards laptop mode where it's just the screen facing you so um either way you you don't get good audio in in this unless you're plugging in with the headphone jack um but yeah other than that uh dan have you tried the pixel book yet what's what's your take on on chrome i haven't asked uh i actually haven't got to see it in person or anything um yeah i've I've been one of those people just uh, over the years where chrome os is too limiting for me uh but it's great what it does obviously from a security point of view from a simplicity and you know ease of use um so it's its own thing and obviously you know aside from these products which are uh heavily used by google employees of course uh you know the vast majority of chromebooks are for the education market so uh, not my thing, but I'm curious to to learn more about you guys' impressions. Well, I am kind of where Jerry ended his review. It's way more expensive than you need to spend on a Chromebook, but it's such a great experience, and it's so much better than any other Chromebook that I've used. Even the expensive Chromebooks from other companies don't really meet the same um, you know, quality of hardware. Chrome itself doesn't get bogged down. The Android app experience on here is better than it is on any other Chromebook right now. But I do wonder if that will funnel down to older models um, because my my guess is that Google is shipping the Pixelbook with some optimizations for Android. I was able to you know open Netflix, the, the Android version of Netflix, and play a, a, a game of like Lara Croft Go at the same time. One was full screen, one was um, in a in a window, and it was it was a great experience because it shows that Android apps can be in either orientation, work really well. They don't get in each other's way. You can open a Chrome OS app and a an Android app at the same time. There's no distinction. Um, but I think that is actually so. I mean that 
that that's kind of a, a thing in in itself because you talk about opening the android version of netflix netflix of course as we know works perfectly fine in a browser window uh you know so does gmail so does google docs so do a bunch of other things totally what is the reason to to run the android version of all of those things on your pixel book totally. oh, offline mode for netflix definitely okay right but, yeah, a, but Alex, being able to you, store you, things you hit the nail on the head there because that is a huge um you know it's a ux failure in a sense because it you, there's no reason to use, say, play movies or play music um, as uh, on, on the on the the laptop as an Android version, where you have a really good browser version. Um, also, offline mode. Also, for both of yeah, those no, apps. no, totally. But but there. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, like side by side, the icons look almost identical. The you know, if you're if you're setting this up, you get all of these apps preloaded, so you inevitably have duplication. Um, there's, there's something we haven't really talked about uh, when, we, when we're getting to the Chrome side, the Android side. Um, you could very easily imagine like an alternate universe where this thing ran Andromeda out of the box, right? Yes, Russell. Russell? Oh yeah, no. It's, it's and we we had a a weird version of this conversation when the Pixel C was announced. Sure, sure. You know where where it it felt like. The Pixel C was built to do a little more than just be Android, and in the same way, it feels like the the Chromebook. It feels like the Pixelbook is uh, is built to do just a little bit more than Chrome OS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting if it ever got Fuchsia one day, but that's a whole other can of worms. Probably, yeah, probably, yeah. that's yeah. that's an adventure in and of itself. Um, so I, I, I noticed that we didn't actually talk about 8.1 very much. So Alex, I wanted to let you end the podcast talking a little bit about your experience with Android 8.1 beta, um, and anything else that you want to mention about it. Cause I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that update. Yeah. So 8.1 is kind of interesting. Um, the main reason it's an 8.1 is, you know, in, in numeric terms, just when there's a new API level in Android, it's generally, a, at least a 0.1 version bump. Uh, and the main new APIs that are in this version have to do with AI. That's what gets you the new fancy stuff in the Pixel Visual Core, which unfortunately we can't do anything with right now in the current beta because it's the option to enable it just isn't there for some reason. No one seems to know why. Um, so that's the main reason why it's a 0.1 version bump. On the other side, unlike the more consumer-facing side, uh, the interesting thing here is for Pixel owners and is owners of the original two Pixel phones. This is the update that brings you pretty much in line in terms of user experience with the Pixel 2 phones. So if you've got a Pixel 2, not a whole lot of stuff here for you besides that Pixel Visual Core stuff, which will make HDR Plus captures faster, which will uh, allow you to take HDR Plus captures in third-party camera apps once they're updated. Um, besides that... Yeah, you're looking at getting the Pixel 2 UX on your first-gen Pixel phone. Uh, you're also looking, if you're you know, a potential future Huawei Mate 10 owner, um, this update will be arriving for you in early uh, 2018. Um, Google's SVP of uh, Android and Google Play actually got up on stage a couple of weeks ago in Munich and without actually saying that, you know, the words Android 8.1, it, you know, confirmed that, uh, the Mate 10 will be getting this update with Android's neural networking APIs early in 2018. And given that, you know, that the focus that Huawei has on AI hardware, um, obviously, you know, that's going to be a priority for them getting the Mate 10 updated at 8.1 pretty quick. 
Um, so, you know, user-facing stuff, uh, yeah, you have the new icon, you have the fading soft keys, which obviously we've, we've discussed, that's a part of the whole burn-in thing. Um, you know, kind of funny that we're seeing that already. Uh, you've got the neural networking APIs, uh, you've got the Pixel 2 features on original Pixels. Um, there are other things like, uh, you know, the annoying using power in background uh, notification. You can now get rid of that by drilling down the settings if you really want to. If there's the one app that triggers that warning for you, you can now get rid of that. Uh, there's other stuff like uh, Bluetooth battery indicators, um, a lot of smaller stuff like the notification shade taking colors from your wallpaper, even if it's a live wallpaper, like it does on the Pixel 2. Uh, improvement for for ra- uh, for um, Play Store apps on devices with low RAM, and uh, just general you know all around improvements to some of the stuff we've seen around Android's autofill APIs. So some small updates. Basically, the reasons to get excited: if you've got a Pixel Two, new camera stuff, uh, Pixel Visual Core will be switched on eventually. Not right now, unfortunately. If you've got an original Pixel, this is the update. You know, maybe you want to try the beta. This is going to get you pretty much lined up in terms of UX with the new pixels. If you've got a Mate 10, that's, this is going to give you the APIs for you know the all the AI apps that could be released over the next 12 months to work with, uh, with Huawei's uh, neural processing unit. So it's some nerdy stuff. It's some not-so-nerdy stuff. But basically, um, you know, it's, uh, it's stuff for pixel owners and stuff for what your next Android phone next year is going to be doing. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I noticed that Android Go was mentioned in there, and we haven't heard much about that since I/O. So, looking forward to seeing what uh, what kind of phones we see uh, with those optimizations, probably starting next year. Unless you guys have anything else, I think we're gonna we're gonna close up shop for the week. Um, Dan, thank you so much. It, it, this was really great. Uh, you brought a a level of nerdiness to the podcast that uh, I, I think Jerry would be proud of. So uh, thank you so much for being here. It was really really great to talk to you. No problem. I I did it all for Jerry, and uh, I just want to <laughs> say I, I've listened to this podcast several times over over the many years so it's it was fun to to get to be on it so thank you guys for having me on yeah anytime um if if people want to learn a little bit more about you uh where where can they go um so there's the blog that i write on which is techspecs.blog uh and also i just tweet a lot i guess uh at dan maddie d-a-n-m-a-t-t-e and uh anybody has any tech questions in general anytime i'm always happy to reply if i if i can be of any help excellent um and uh russell what about you where can people find you on the internet um you know at russell holly for pretty much anything uh spell the first name and last name out because i uh lack creativity when it comes to creating screen names um and uh, if you do decide to add me this weekend don't be surprised if you don't find anything new on there for a while because as i'm going to continue saying uh, Stranger Things and Super Mario Odyssey are pretty much going to own my life for the remaining like set of time that I'm conscious. So have fun with that. Good luck. Godspeed, Russell. Um, and and Alex, now that you are the most popular person on Twitter, thanks to your uh, burning <laughs> tweet, uh, where can people find you? 
Uh, yeah, you can find me killing the Pixel Two XL on at Alex Dolby on Twitter and uh, that same name on on most other things, including Instagram and and, and whatnot. Single-handedly uh, ruining all nice things. Ruining all nice things for all people who want to buy a, a large screen Google phone. No, so um, yeah. At Alex Dobie on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, you can also find my stuff at AndroidCentral.com and uh, videos at YouTube.com slash AndroidCentral. Great videos. The best videos. Um, best you could imagine. My name is Daniel Bader. You can find me at Journey Dan on all the things. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>